a story, fill up the pages, sing a little song, keep me around, keep me with you, right by your nightstand, keep me around, as long as you can. Coming over, hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of ADD Storytelling. My name is Tucker, and I'm joined by our diaphanous neurodivergent host, Maddie, as always. How's it going, Maddie? Going all right. Yeah? How's it going with you? Oh, it's good. I, I kind of smell something weird, though. What is it? Well, what do you smell? Cigarettes? No, no, not cigarettes. <laughs> it smells... kind of smells like spooky season is right around the corner. Do you smell that? It does feel spooky. Something spooky's a coming, and that might just be because it's early September, but I don't know. What are we doing today? Are we doing anything different? Same thing? Same thing as always? Or changing up a bit? Uh, well, we do have a different title for this episode. Um, kind of feeling tired? Yeah. Feeling um, a little, like, worn out? A little exasperated? What would you call it? A little tuckered out. You're a little tuckered out. Oh, why is that? Because you did all the research for this episode, and I didn't do anything, and I get to be surprised, and I have to somehow relinquish creative control of a project, which That'll is obviously, fine. um, I'm you, so good at that. You're going to have an easy time with that? <laughs> I don't control everything I can possibly control. That's not a, a thing about me. No, no, no. It's going to be smooth sailing. You're able to step back and kind of like let loose on the reins a bit here? I'm I'm sitting into it like a like a damp puddle. I'm just sitting sitting you, in there. You're the tightest puddle I've ever seen. You are really clenched up. I well, this I have the heat pad. Yeah, well, yeah, that's another another situation entirely. But cool. Well, I I just I do want to say thank you for relinquishing control and giving me a chance to kind of uh, I don't know maybe entirely derail this the formula that we've set up here in the last few episodes, but. We'll see how it goes. That's why we're titling it Tuckered Out, so that you have a distinct vision from what's been happening. Just to differentiate the cohesive episodes from whatever this will be. Well, they're going to be a band of your creative episodes. Yeah. All yeah, Tuckered yeah. Out. Yeah, a little like, side series. Yeah. All right. Well, Maddie, do you have any idea what we're going to be talking about today? I know it has to do with, like, Japan and whales or something. Like that whale whale monsters. Yeah, I mean something partially, kind of. At some point, we'll get there. But let me just start. What do you know about yokai and ayure in Japan? I know that yokai are like ghost demon things, and that there's like a million different kinds. And I think yure are just ghosts that were human before, and that. Demons don't have to be. Yokai don't have to be human. Yeah, exactly. Um, yokai, you, you said they were ghosts, but less ghosts is more, as much as they're more just uh, physical manifestations of ideas and feelings and fears in a lot of ways. Uh, they, I mean, they kind of run the gamut. I, kinda, I did want to say one thing about yokai is that it comes from Jap, uh, Japanese spiritual belief and uh, the idea of animism like projecting human-like qualities onto ideas, inanimate objects, and creatures. That's differentiated from Ire by uh, encompassing a larger swath of creatures and ideas, which I kind of just said. 
as opposed to Yure, which specifically deal with ghosts and those trapped post-death in a form of like limbo or, you know, having unfinished business, the classic ghost. So Yure have unfinished business? Oftentimes, yeah. It's like, you know, the murdered wife seeking retribution against the one that wronged her. Mm. How depressing is it that the statistic backs up that men are the most violent things on earth? Oh, depressing. And um, let me put on my surprise hat here. Uh, quick it's sidebar. It's not funny. It's morbid. I don't it's, know. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. Like I said, putting on my surprise cap in a very sad way. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving away from that real talk, how, do you, how would you differentiate Oni from yokai and yure? I thought Oni were a type of yokai. I think Oni are more of a type of yure, if I'm correct, because they... Uh, generally speaking, are created when a especially wicked human dies and they're transformed into an oni. So essentially they're like the demon version of what we in the West would call a ghost. Uh, Uriah are ghosts. Oni are more, you know, simplified demons. And yokai can be anything from a household item can be described as a yokai. There are yokai stories about a throwaway culture and... Items that people would get rid of coming back to life to uh, imitate humans. Sukugami. Yeah, what is that? Throw they're, it in. They're called Sukugami. Thank you, Maddie. There's an anime called We Rent Sukugami, and I don't know what it is in Japanese, but I started watching it, and it's not bad. It's Slice of Life from that period. I want to say Ido, but I don't know. Yeah, and that's kind of the funny thing. Is like That was one of um, the first illustrated... Uh, accounts of yokai was essentially that story critiquing and satirizing throwaway culture i think this was right before the Edo period which is really interesting because these days in japan uh yokai fund a lot of that there are yokai video games or yokai movies yokai toys yokai cards and you know they're kind of mass produced as a throwaway trinket i would so it's say kind of that funny how it came so full circle i would say that like Art, like comics and video games, are more of like a lasting cultural effect versus, you know, like a toy from McDonald's, which maybe that's a thing that happened. But Are you, are you knocking McDonald's toys though? I'm saying that they're like, basically everything that you're saying is wrapped up in what we conceive McDonald's to be. Mm. It's pretty terrible. A ghost story. I was talking about capitalism. All right, well, a ghost story. It can be... Actual cryptids, like the kappa, which we'll discuss later. Isn't and a kappa like a cucumber thing? The kappa loves cucumbers. That's its favorite favorite treat. Do you know where I learned that? Where did you learn that? Harvest Moon. Really? The video game. That's what I mean, though. The ka, like, yokai are so from incredibly Natsum. pervasive. They, they show up in everything from, yeah. I can, there's a kappa helmet that Tara often wears. Shout out Tara. She's a wolf. And uh, when we play Ghost of Tsushima together, that's... I guess she doesn't often wear it because it's butt ugly, but yeah. There's a cop ahead there. It's uh, a She the fox ones. Yeah. Would that be a kitsune? Probably. Most likely. And then, initially, like I said earlier, yokai can be just ideas. Uh, an example of that would be the Oku, Okuri Inu. I, I should say that right up top. I'm going to mispronounce a lot today. We discussed that a little bit on the Kitsune episode, but if you thought Maddie may have had mispronunciations that deserved a, a write-in, get ready, because uh, 
she did really well. But yeah, the Yokuri Inu, uh, which is a yokai that encompasses the feeling and or sensation of being watched or pursued while alone. So they can be pretty much anything. Which is really interesting and fun. So it's like the creepy feeling. Yeah, exactly. It's But it's there's a f- physical form of it. The physical form of a creepy feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the beginning of the Nightmare Before Christmas song. Yeah, the feeling, uh, the thing under your bed. Where I'm the creature under the stairs, there's a lot of things. Uh, I am the one hiding under your stairs. Boom. Fingers like snakes and spiders in my hair. Uh, Keep going. I am the one, when you call who's there, I'm the wind blowing through your hair. Oh, we are in spooky season. We're singing fucking Nightmare Before Christmas Tales. Well, I didn't sing it. I just recited the lyrics. You could, you kind of sung it. I didn't sing it. Uh, Not really. uh, Yeah, not really. You'd have. You'd have put your all into that if we'd been prepared. First yokai that we're going to be discussing today is one by the name of the Umiboso, which, once again, I am sorry. Umibozu? Umibozu. So it looks me. I don't know. Translates to sea monk in Japanese. It's a very old and very widespread yokai, since Japan is a island nation. There are, a, I'm going to say, crap ton, uh, crap ton of different stories about seafaring monsters, deities, and just general like tricksters and aquatic bad boys. Umibozo is the one that stuck out to me. Purported to be the herald of storms and typhoons or other maritime disasters, tales of the Umibozu give impressions of the creature ranging from benign to nefarious depending on their region of origin. Accounts of Umibozu differ wildly. They can be anything from a hairy creature resembling a sperm whale to a beautiful woman who can shape change into a vicious monster. Maddie, did you have something to say? Uh Uh-huh. How can you resemble a sperm whale if you're also hairy? Have you seen a sperm whale? I've seen that it doesn't have a lot of hair, Mm -hmm. even though it's technically a mammal. I wouldn't call it a a hairy thing. It's not like a seal. Remember all those, like, old European... It's like a furry sea sperm whale. Big, big furry blob. Yeah, it just makes me think about the old, like, etchings of, like, rhinoceroses or uh, whales done by medieval European artists that look just astoundingly off. A couple people see these. They play telephone with the description. People back home that weren't on the water... They're going to get a different kind of idea of what was out there. So, hairy sperm whale. People used to see whales all the time. There was mm. the tale, there were biblical tales, like, you know, the guy got eaten by the whale, Jonah. Yeah, jo- right? Jonah got munched. And Japan is really big on whaling. Oh, we'll get into that. In general. Yep. Have been. Which mm-hmm. makes sense, because, of, like, in the past, you needed whale blubber and oil and such to survive. And it's, like, can feed a large amount of people, especially if you don't waste anything. So yeah, like absolutely. It makes sense. It's kind of sad now because there aren't very many whales. But... No. We'll get into that later. But you make a good point to circle back. Whaling was such a large part of the culture and the day-to-day lifestyle. The classic uh, umiboza is one most often, often depicted by ukiyo-e artists, that being uh, printmakers of the Edo period. You think about all those like fantastically... Wood blocks. Colorful, yeah, wood, water, water media, wood block prints, like the, the Great Wave, things like that. That's from that time period. 
creatures have a giant black head with two massive eyes, usually thrusting up from the water. Umibozu can be gigantic. There have been reports of tiny Umibozu as well, however, being no more than a few feet or inches tall even. One was reported to have like just sat in a bay for three days with uh, hundreds of witnesses seeing this creature. But yeah, it was like three feet long and just kind of bobbed. Maybe it was like a mutated seal. Very likely a mutated seal, yeah. And it was kind of, it was just a floppy one. So it just just floppy dead seal. (laughs) I didn't say it was dead. I mean, why was it there for three days then? Because it wants, seals are chill. They like to be in one area for a while. It's fair. Can't argue with that. Seals are chill. When they attack, umiboze, not seals, some say that they cling to the hull of a ship to drag it down or have great stretching arms that can pull a ship down by its mast. I just immediately think of the Kraken in that uh, Wine Vampire Johnny Depp movie and those fun sticky sticky arms that bring a ship down really fast. I was thinking of like in like several anime where there's like some black arms that like shoot up and like pull something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I actually can't remember the name of the main villain in Samurai Jack, but my brain does go to that. Oh yeah, I can long, see long black arms. I can see the face. The face. I don't remember. I watched that as a Damn. child. Some say that they try desperately to quench any lit fires on the boat. Some say that they cry kuya kuya as they attack, and that striking them with the oars will bring cries of pain, which sound like oitata from the smaller species, particularly. Which I I wonder what the larger species sound like when you strike them with oars. Maddie, mm. do you want to venture a quick uh, guess as to what that sound would be like if the small ones say oitata? What do larger umibozu sound like when they're hit with oars? Mantata? Buitata? Mantata? That's most likely right. Uh, (laughs) I can't argue with that. Small boy, big man. Small boy, big man? Boy sounds like boy and then... Man... (laughs) That's... Fun. In some legends, they can be repelled by tobacco smoke, which tells you that I will be fine if I'm on a boat off the coast of Japan when it comes to umibozu. Where would you throw away your cigarette butts on a boat? Where would I? Mm-hmm. In a beer can. In a trash receptacle, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I put them in the... I, when I'm fishing, I put them in water bottles or beer cans because a little bit of detritus at the bottom quenches the cigarette and the smoke goes away and everyone's happy and I'm not littering and I feel like a good person. Here, a, an image, uh, actually an ukiyo-e print of an omibozu. Maddie, do you want to describe what you're seeing here and what your feelings and reactions are? It looks like the Japanese sailor at the front of the boat is just kind of staring off into the distance while his boat is keeling on a very intense wave, like at a 45-degree angle. And then the big thing, what is it, the umibozu, umibozu, is somehow, like, translucent for the water, and has, like, big little eyes that have just a big little thing, and it's, like, vaguely human-shaped, and there are no arms happening, and it just, like, looks like it's spying on them, but, like, in a really big, creepy way. Like, if a little kid was looking at a toy ship. I like that last description. A human silhouette, transparent towering over a boat thrashing in the waves and there's some scared looking people on the boat that see it i think and i would say the The fearless captain the figure that 
Yeah, the figure that appears to be the captain seems to be wielding some kind of giant Inuyasha-esque weapon, which may or may not be an anchor. I think that's the anchor. Yeah, are they threatening it with it? I I don't know. Hard to say. Her beautiful piece, uh, it's from 1845, titled The Sea Monk. Uh, I guess we can't read There's the artist thing there, probably, but we can't read it in Japanese. As an island nation, Japan has had a long and deep uh, relationship with the ocean. An unaccountable assortment of sea monsters live in the waters off of every coast, according to folklore and myth. Each small fishing village created its own folklore, and as villages grew large, merged into port cities, mythologies mixed and blended, accounting for the massive and infinite variety that we have today. Most Japanese yokai are regional. They were created in one particular area, and there they stayed. But the umibozu are widespread and touch every part of Japan that is touched by the ocean. Because they are so widespread, over the centuries the story of the umibozu has mixed with other sea creatures. In some accounts, the umibozu are like the funayuri, which we're going to dig into later. In some accounts, the umibozu are like the kappa, who we mentioned earlier, with their uh, love of cucumbers. In the Tohoku region of Japan, and before going out to sea, there was a kind of ritual whereby the uh, captain of fishing boats would pray to the goddess of the sea for safe passing against the umibozu. Safe passage. Yeah. What did I say? Passing. Oh, yeah. That doesn't sound right. Uh, <laughs> there was something I thought I interjected there. Well, it makes there... sense that they would pray to the sea because, uh, like, a lot of Shinto beliefs... Mm-hmm, basically mm-hmm. put a spirit of life into everything, and why wouldn't it be the ocean Yes, as um, well? Which is exactly what I wanted to talk about now, which is the Japanese goddess of the sea, or Ryujin, who is generally considered to be male in terms of gender orientation, but with these ancient stories relating to the Umibozu, all of the folktales refer to a goddess of the sea specifically. But to the best of my knowledge, the same god is Ryujin. Ryujin, meaning the dragon kami. This type of faith was a form of religious thought and practice associated with dragons, a mythical sacred animal of ancient China. Ryujin is one of eight dragon kings, initially imported and transmuted from tales originating in India. Although Japanese Ryujin worship was was often influenced by both China and India, the Japanese dragon, as an object of faith, was a deified snake or serpent, a symbol of water kami, sujin. It looks like the suffix jin means kami or god, right? Yeah, we can speculate wildly. Well, but that it's the one that's being repeated over and over. Yeah. Oh, I'm certain you're right about that. Besides, the term Ryujin, Ryu, meaning dragon king, and Ryugu, meaning dragon palace, are also used. So many anime names. <laughs> so what comes to many. Mind? What comes to mind? How many? Just the name Ryu. No, Ryu. Ryu yeah. comes up Street all the Fighter, time. Right? Like dragon. That is Street Fighter, and he's got fire bombs. And his name is Dragon. Oh, shit. That's awesome. <laughs> the Dragon Kami is connected with agriculture because of its characteristic as a water kami. Some folktales impart that speaking to an umibozo will cause it to savagely attack. Some, hmm. sp- Yeah. Anything? I think it's interesting that if you acknowledge it, it attacks you. I feel like it would attack you if you don't acknowledge it. There's almost something to be said about the ukiyo-e print that we looked at earlier, where... I think there were four figures. Only one of them was even acknowledging it. The, rest seemed, the others seemed to be kind of ignoring it, if not cowering in fear. Which... Well, I don't see how you can ignore it and cower in fear. 
<laughs> yeah, it's kind of the barn owl approach where you just kind of cover your head and sway back and forth. Pretend if you don't see it, it doesn't see you, and everything is good. You don't like barn owls? I love barn owls. I grew up with them. Did you know, like, when I was driving in the country, because I grew up in the middle of nowhere, one time when I was driving alone at night, one just, like, flew almost directly into my windshield and scared the living hell out of me? And that was a barn owl. That was, uh, was gray. You were almost abducted. This is a barn owl. No, no, no. Oh, sweet summer child. <laughs> I was like, maybe it's here to guide me to somewhere from this place. <laughs> Other than uh, speaking to them, which is a, it's a bad move, because that'll just cause them to rip you apart with their long, long black arms. <laughs> Got them noodle arms. <laughs> So other than its large, uh, strangly stretching noodle arms, speaking to it, bad call. Tobacco smoke, good call. That's going to keep it away from you. You want to be chain smoking when you're on the waters of Japan. Do you think Just... that's why so many sailors are smokers? Certainly. Some claim that the umibosu and the mujiabune will be repelled by a mixture of water and miso paste being offered or poured into the surrounding waters. Sounds good. Now, what is a mujiabune? In Emori Prefecture, in the Shimokita district, people who ate shark, which was at the time, or still is, considered taboo in Japan, as sharks also eat people, so therefore the practice of eating shark is kind of seen as cannibalistic. Hmm, naughty. Those people that ate shark were said to become mojiabune. Do you think the fin was sought after, or is it more disgusting? Is it like... The fin? The shark fin. I know some cultures will use and eat the fin as an aphrodisiac mm, yeah but that's like a rhino horn maybe. I there's mean, lots of impact like, there can a rhino live when you cut off his horn that's a question i don't have an answer to but i would like to know but why the mojiabune are associated with the umibozo i couldn't figure out if anyone that's listening knows i would be ex- i am exceedingly curious to know what that connection is then why are we talking about it? Because they say that the Mujiabune and the Umibosa are both repelled by that same mixture of water and miso paste, and then you pour it in the salty ocean. That salty, delicious ocean water that we all crave and need in our bodies. So the way they're related is the same way that you get rid of them, and that's it? I guess. That's as much as I could figure out. Okay, but I feel like you can burn sage or whatever, and then that would do the same thing for all kinds of ghosts. So are we just saying ghosts? You know, that's a good point. Probably. Or, you, you know, like you throw salt at something or... Yeah. And that crucifix. just, like, gets rid of, you like, You hurl snails. a crucifix at it. Yeah, if you hurl a crucifix at, like, oh, I got nothing. Hmm. If you hurl a crucifix at your uncle, hmm? then he won't tell your parents, right? That's a, that's a classic joke, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've all heard that. So, man, you want to know about the last time Ubi Mozo was seen and reported? Or... Do I want to... Do you want to know about the last time they saw one? The last... That was reported? Do you want to know? The last time they saw a new Mibozo? Yeah. You want to know about that? Sure. Okay. Most recent account, published in the Manichi Shinbun newspaper in 1971. 1971? I always count from 2000. Like, I stopped living at that year. I was thinking 30, but then it is 50. It's definitely 50. Truthfully, yeah. When I saw that number, I was like, Haha, that, that one works out because we're in a... Something one year. It's been 30 years. In 1971, <laughs> there was a first-hand account given by a ship that was tuna fishing near New Zealand. When they went to... <sighs> Good lord. That does not bode well. You're falling asleep on me. <laughs> Sorry. 
Well, she's tucked in. <laughs> this is a good bedtime story. God, leave this in. <laughs> so, we're Say off New again. Zealand. We're tuna fishing. Tuna fishing. It's captivating. We're all wide awake. <laughs> when this crew went to hoist up their catch, a giant animal came up tangled in the lines. The craft and the crew... Was it Harry? <laughs> no, it wasn't a wizard, Harry. <laughs> The captain and crew panicked at what they were sure was some monster from the deep. The monster was brown-colored, with deeply wrinkled skin, and eyes 15 centimeters in diameter. That's so specific. Why 15 centimeters? It's Danny DeVito. They saw no nose or mouth. Only part of the monster's body came out of the water, with the rest hidden under the surface. The matter was investigated by Japan's oceanography department, who felt that experienced fishermen were not likely to mistake a whale or a giant squid. As the Wait, what about pirate stories? What the fuck about pirate stories? Dead men tell no tales. These men are alive, Maddie. <laughs> they saw it. These men didn't die. They could have easily mistaken something and be like, what the frick is that? Too much kelp on it. Yourself. Why is there so much kelp on it? Why is it hairy? I don't know what it is. Let's not throw it back. If, as the fisherman said, the visible part of the body that breached the surface was around 1.5 meters long, Maddie is yawning again. <laughs> Fuck. No, we're good. Ever. I'm confused. Did no. they pull it into the boat? They did not. They just pulled part of it out, looked at its creepy looking head, said, you're all wrinkled, you're all brown. So it came up tangled in the lines. Yes. But they didn't take it out. Like an iceberg, only a bit breached. I can insinuate. How do they measure 15 centimeters in diameter of their eyes? Don't know where you got that number. It's 1.5 meters. It says the monster was brown colored with deeply wrinkled skin and eyes 15 centimeters in diameter. Oh, that that number. I can tell. I'm looking at your face. Three feet between the eyes. See? It's a sailor's guesstimation of distance. What do you think? First, before we start, what do you think the Umibozo might be? I think they probably think what I think, that it's a mu- like a mutant seal or something. <laughs> you think that's the consensus? Yeah. Mutant seal? It's like an ugly seal. <laughs> <laughs> it towers out of the water. It's an ugly walrus. <laughs> they didn't mention shit about tusks. This doesn't have them. The, the, the female ones don't have tusks that are that big. That's fair. But no, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. Don't look at the script. Get your, avert your eyes. This is a surprise for you. If you want me to focus, I need to look at something. Ooh, look at that. why I read the subtitles. This is why I always have a fidget spinner when we're doing our doing our episodes where you're leading. You're like, Tucker, your, My fidget, ring broke. your fidget spinner it. is making too much noise. Tucker, put that bottle cap down. I don't have any. My ring broke. No, the theories explain the umibosu. They range from misidentifications of jellyfish. Maddie, any comments? Look away from the script. <laughs> What do you think about jellyfish? That I, well, they're not hairy, so... It's true. All right, what about large storm clouds looming, looming over the horizon, like thunderheads? It could be that. Yeah. Um, that, one, that one holds water with me, no pun intended. Shells of giant sea turtles. Oh, yeah. You know, those hairy, hairy shells that tend to loom up out of the water over your ship. If we take all these explanations at face value, the sea turtle shells, the hairy, hairy mutant sea lions, 
the thunderclouds. Trying to reconcile that with this, the descriptions of giant leviathan, two-eyed, translucent black demons emerging from the ocean, it's kind of hard to, like, you know, see where they're coming from. Alongside the Umiboza, the region of Japan known as the Seto Island City was and is home to other nefarious monstrosities, some of the most notable being the Funa Yue. This region of Japan, the Seto Island Sea, is a major hub of commerce, industry, industry, and general transport, both in antiquity and modern times, for commoners and emissaries alike. It connects three of the four main, main islands of Japan. It's kind of a, when you look on a map, it's the southwestern area. This region was home to a plethora of individual navies, or a sigun, during the Edo period. The sigun. Thank you. The Edo period, notably, was also the time when yokai and tales of supernatural creatures and events began to gain major popularity and commercial attention as ukiyo woodblock de depictions of the creatures became trendy and highly sought after, as yeah, we mentioned cool at the top of their, During the Edo period, yokai, yokai uh, tales really like just fucking took off in popularity among the inhabitants of japan and just the commoners they began to like make prints of trading cards make storybooks make illustrations that people would frame and hang in their home it was a way of uh art they were it was art but it was also like fun ways yeah it was a way Stuff. <laughs> they were they're terrifying images when you look at them they're like they're little legitimately scary like one thing that comes to mind uh, Goth couture. A ripoff was uh, that. Oh shit! I can't think of the character's name. Uh, in Pan's Labyrinth, the uh, the creature with the eyes in his hands and no eyes on his face. That's mm. a direct ripoff of a yokai depicted in ukiyo-e prints from this time. That nasty artist you like has one of those. Which nasty art? I like a lot of nasty, dirty, stinky artists. Mm, the guy that always has neon colors with his drippy voice. Skinner? No, the other one. Alex Pardee? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's... So yeah, even modern creatures are ripped from these uh, yokai prints of yore. But my point being is that these depictions and their widespread availability took what are objectively horrifying images and kind of made them cute or accessible and therefore kind of undercut what was horrific or mysterious or unnerving about the creatures themselves because of their widespread distribution they became known as just tales rather than actually scary haunting figures yeah i always thought uh i always really thought Candyman was really endearing after they made all those prints about him the fuck? Candyman? You know the bees. Have you seen a Candyman movie? No. What the hell are you talking about then? Mm. What what prints? 
It's just making something up because I'm being sarcastic. You okay? Like, <laughs> ooh, yeah. It is no coincidence then that these tales spread by pirates, fishermen, and coastal inhabitants became more widely dispersed and shared amongst the populace, while also reinterpreted and contextualized through differing lenses. One of those creatures were the Funayure, group of delightfully ghoulish, ghostly white sea creatures purportedly to terrorize those of the nautical persuasion off the coast of Japan. A sort of a... Sea banshee. Yeah, aqua banshee, one would say. They're said to be the souls of drowning victims. Banshees. So banshee. Banshee vibe. Yeah, hence yure rather than yokai. They are the uh, manifestations of dead people, not ideas. People? Yeah, they're the souls of drowning victims brought back, transmuted into something else. Bitter and wrathful towards the living, they rise up from the bottom of the sea to attack boats. Following is a tale as translated by Zach Davis. It's translated from uh, a folklore tale titled Nihon no Obake Banashi. And it goes as Long ago, it was said that when a boat put out to sea on New Year's Eve, when a boat was put out to sea on New Year's Eve, it was sure to catch the eyes of Funayure. Bitter and wrathful towards the living, they rise up from the bottom of the sea to attack boats. One time, at Mizushimanada in the Seto Island Sea, west of modern-day Okayama Prefecture, a lone boat crossed the water heavy with goods for the New Year's Festival. Due, the, due to the nature of its cargo, the boat had no choice but to cross on New Year's Eve and was now being tossed about by white-capped waves. I'm confused. Why, why is it a thing for a New Year's Festival? Oh, New Year's Eve. Wouldn't they go earlier? I feel like... Yeah, that's you're, a not reason... gonna, you're not going to get there if you're leaving the day before. They're leaving the night of, thank you. They're even more inconsiderate to timelines that you hold dear. That's weird. Because I know you, you like, if you've got a 10 a.m. appointment, you're getting up and out of bed and on the road by 5. But, um, <laughs> now, yeah, if you want to do a call and response here, we've got some lines to read. What, do you fear to go sailing on New Year's Eve? Are we boatmen to have our livelihoods ended out of fear for the Funayure? The sky may be black zinc without a star in sight, but the wind is favorable, and if we hold our course steady, we will be at back home before we even left. Cheering themselves up in this manner, the boatsmen continued along the pitch-black sea. For a time, everything was good. Their sails were full of wind, and they were traveling so fast it was as if they were flying over the water. But suddenly, the skies opened up, and a hammering rain began to fall. Damn, this is some pretty bad stuff coming down on us. It's kind of rough out here. The boatsmen didn't stop their work for even a moment and kept their boat steady on as the violence of the rain increased. Suddenly, the boat ground to a halt as if it, something had moved up behind it and grabbed it. The wind also fell to a dead calm. What just happened? Where is our wind? Then, just as suddenly, they were blasted by a fierce breeze that seemed to have come straight from the heart of winter. Everyone, push us ahead. Heave to those oars. To the shock of the boatsmen, the boat held its ground, frozen to the spot as if it had been set down on roots. What? What is that? From deep under the water, something was drifting up towards the boat. It looked almost like floating balls of cotton. No, it can't be. The white shapes moved relentlessly upwards, increasing in size as they approached. The boatsmen could see them now, wrapped in kimonos as white as snow. The hair flowed wildly in the water. From below, there was a ghastly light illuminating their faces. There was no doubt. These were the dreaded Funayure. Lendosa Hishaku. 
Lend us a spoon. Fucking nice. I wouldn't have known that was supposed to be them. When I missed, when I've read this the first time, I had no idea that was supposed to be the Finayura speaking. That goose the hands stretched up in the wa- waves, and their voices carried their bitter grudge towards the living. It is known that if you should find yourself in such a situation and overcome by fear, and you actually hand over the Hishaku spoon they were requesting, then you are as good as dead. Before your eyes, the single Hishaku spoon will split into multiple spoons, and arms beyond your ability to count will stretch out from the ocean. This reminds me of that witch request with the yeah. the white, the lady that turns into a white and has to collect spoons because no spoons will satisfy. Yeah, white spelled W-I-G-H-T, not the most. But yeah, that was one of my favorite witch requests. Yeah, blood and very, wine. Very, very good one. But It's in a DLC, so get the blood and wine DLC if you want to play the white story. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> what is a Hishagri spoon? This is my own interjection here because I had no idea what the fuck they were talking about. A Hishaku spoon, actually, it's not a spoon at all, but a water ladle. It's a so long... it's a ladle? Yeah. It's, it's like the thing the... that holds water and pours it? There's a photo. Yeah. So that's what the funa you are asking for. It looks now, like a spoon pipe. Back to the story. A pipe spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Singing their loathsome song with voices filled with hate, the Funayure will later ladle water from their infinite spoons until your boat is swamped. And if this is not enough they to sink your boat, just get a bigger spoon, you guys. Infinite boat. spoons and infinite We're arms. We're gonna need a bigger spoon. Jesus fuck, Maddie. <laughs> and if this is not enough to sink your boat, then they will reach up and drag it to the bottom of the ocean. How many hundreds of ships have been sunk in this manner? With big spoons? It's up your, it's, it's your quote. No, 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 not to you. We'll never lend you a spoon. But these boatmen, shivering so badly they could barely hold on to their oars, refused absolutely and pulled the water with all their strength. This did not discourage the Funayure. Slowly, the boat moved forward in the water, followed closely by the Funayure. Go away, just go away. <laughs> the boatsmen took their oars and began to beat with all their might on the heads of the Funayura, who I have to interject and say are just drowned women. Lend us a Hishaku. Lend us a spoon. A Funayura grabbed hold of one of the oars and pulled with such a strength that one of the boatmen was dragged into the ocean. No! Letting go of the oar, he clambered up the side of the boat, upsetting the lantern that they had used to guide their way through the black night. Sparks flew off the lantern, and the Funayura fled before the power of the flame. Without the boat had been held almost still in the water. Suddenly broke free and sped along smoothly. Ah, thanks to that lantern. The boatmen pulled with all of their remaining strength for the shore. The Funayure are found not only to be in the Seto Island Sea, but anywhere in the water surrounding Japan. Always, they ask for the Hishaku spoon. Because of this, some boats carry a specially prepared Hishaku spoon with holes drilled in it. Gotta fool those. Get it? It's a secret spoon. Yeah, it's a secret. Oh. It's a, it, once again. Yeah, thank you. Back I was about to, to say, Nightmare Before Christmas again. Bring it all the way back. Yeah, it's this exactly a Sally. This is Halloween? This is spooky time. Yeah, you said that in the most, like, just emotional. We're almost there. Just one more month. This way, when they pass over the spoon, the Funayure are unable to fill the boat with water and they can make their escape. No, go ahead. Keep singing. This legend comes from the Okinawa Okay, no, that's my script. Get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now it's time for the kappa. The tale I just recounted of the Funayure comes from Okayama Prefecture, from an Edo period book called Kashiyawa. Uh, 
a fishing village in this area still sells specially made hishakuri spoons with holes in it that are said to, pr- to ward off the funayure. Boy, if I want a tour spoon, it's one that doesn't hold water. A what spoon? A spoon that doesn't hold water. Get it? Because it's, it's drilled with holes. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. It's a good spoon right there. It's a ladle. Now for the tale of the kappa and the shirikodama. You know that people, like, really do collect spoons? Yeah. With, like, cities on them? Mm-hmm. Like, my grandmother has a spoon cabinet or something. Yeah, shelf. Yeah. Spoon shelf? It's like a white people thing. Collect spoons. That was a whole thing in Breaking Bad. Collecting spoons? Mary would, uh, or Marie would steal spoons. She was a kleptomaniac and would steal spoons. What is it with spoons? It's people a demon thing. People got a spoon... People like to spoon. Some people like spoon. to fork. The towel you got me, though, it says uh, spooning can lead to forking. Oh, right. Yeah. Also. That's more clever. I want to ask you. Um, what do you want to ask me? What What accent were you trying to do? I wasn't trying to do an accent. You switched to like three different voices, it felt like. I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think I was unsure of how I wanted to deliver that story and just decided to go with dramatic. It kind of veered in and out of like a Matt Berry kind of thing. Who's Matt Berry? You know, Matt Berry from uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh. Yes, my good lady wife. Matt Berry. Are you not I... good at imitating him? Okay, thank you, darling. I appreciate that. I hope this all remains in the episode so that the listeners can judge whether yeah. or not I'm good at a Matt Berry voice. I can tell that you're trying to do that. Yes, I appreciate that. It doesn't sound like him. Great. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Dope as fuck of you to say. (laughs) Would you like to hear the next story? I'm just going to stop. I want to hear about the kappa. I want to hear about the cucumber fiend. Well, we're... I hate cucumbers. <laughs> okay, well... I don't get why he's so obsessed. Just so you know, we've already covered everything that's going to be talked about regarding the cucumber and the kappa. That they love cucumbers? Yeah, that's about it. I'm not going to get much deeper into it because we've got a lot to cover today. He doesn't have, like, a cave full of cucumbers or, like, Fuck a cucumber man. swamp. It's not one person. The kappa are a whole race of creatures. I... You mean species? Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. Would you just consider, like, differing yokai different races of yokai? No, probably just species. Yeah, you're right. Races are fake and species are real. Hey, <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Well, species are based off of science. Yeah, races are based off of bullshit. <laughs> Literally nothing. All right, well then, this, of course, is where we come to stories of the Shirikodama. Mm-hmm. Or anus ball. And how desperately the creatures of the deep yearn to devour it. And yeah. Is it human anus? Oh, yeah, baby. And do humans have a tasty anus? Yes. And guess what? Your is soul it... is condensed to it into a tiny little ball of pure delicious matter that we keep in our butt. I haven't heard that. Well, are we dead when we give them the anus? Nope. Sadly. Specifically, the kappa. A yokai which in the Edo period became a sort of happy-go-lucky, easily relatable yokai, described, portrayed, and venerated in manuscripts, engravings, and certain shrines devoted entirely to it. The kappa, like, there's one shrine in um, Tokyo that's devoted entirely to the kappa as it uh, is settled on an area that was inundated with floods and uh, rising water levels. And back, I'm just going to say, in the day, because I don't have a date... 
this one man, this I believe it was a priest. Appealed to the kappa and the kappa saved their flood that one time? Well, appealed saved to the kappa and the kappa the assisted him in digging irrigation channels so as to divert the water. Smart. Yeah. The kappa helped him out and yeah, it's all... What a helpful cucumber. That they're being usually said, green like cucumbers because they love them so much. Well, they're um they're also large, they're scaly, monsters. humanoid creatures with beaks and heads that look kind of like if you think of like a Benedictine monk with that shape, like Friar Tuck, my namesake, with that shaved little circle on top of the head and all the hair, hair poofing out. I always think they've of, got those haircuts. Sorry, what do you always think of? I always think of like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Even You're wrong. I know that that one's different. <laughs> Yeah, you're so, you couldn't be so much more wrong. God damn it's it. It's also greenish. No, the kappa have a beak, a fun Benedictine abbot, or monk haircut, and they're humanoid with kind of like gangly turtle parrots. This is how I would describe them. And they're a ton of fun. With anyway. hair. Yeah, 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 exactly, with hair. But just on their head. Do you this think is... it's like a shrunken big bird? Sorry, state that question again. <laughs> Do you think it looks like a shrunken big bird? No. From Sesame Street? No, I would say... With green feathers? If anything, I would say it looks like if Bulbasaur's uncle was a runner at the age of 50 and was green. Does it have a bulb on its back? No, but it has it kind of on its head. It's kind of turtle shelly in some depictions. Okay. The story of the Kaaba and its affinity for consuming the condensed ball of life force that we all supposedly hold within the small of our lower intestine is one that I did not foresee learning about in the process of researching the aquatic creatures of Japan. But here we are. The Kaaba are a form of yokai that go their own way. Some assist humans with irrigation efforts and agricultural endeavors, while some will drown your child and hide their remains in a turtle shell. Nice. Yeah. Luck of the draw kind of thing, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, we've all, we've only talked about the fun, kind of helpful kappa, but they're also, every time someone was found drowned, they were the ones that, they were what was usually blamed. In Harvest Moon, you feed the kappa, like, a hundred cucumbers, and then he wants to marry you. You can marry him. Won't Sometimes you won't get either of those <laughs> scenarios, though, and a kappa will have it upon you whilst you swim. In this situation... It sounds creepy. It's going to pull you under the water to drown you. Then, depending on the luck of the draw again, suck or pull one Shirikodama, once again, their anus ball, from their lower private chambers to feast upon its magnificence. History only <laughs> provides more questions than answers here, as Ukiyoi, prince from Jipensha Iku, depicts a kappa who is shown to have recently decimated an individual that lies motionless in the background, holds out a Shirikodama disgustedly as though offended by its pungent, awful odor. Begging the question, why did it want my butt meatball at all then? And I'm Maddie, take a gander at this this uh, woodcut. What do you see here? Mm, looks like a dead person. Mercifully, mm-hmm. his butt is covered by the grass skirt of the kappa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kappa looks like just, I don't know, like kind of like frog glamour. Like a glamour toad. Yeah, that common phrase. That Yeah, that aesthetic frog glamour. I've been seeing that a lot recently. I think the drag queen Ginger Minge calls himself a, a glamour toad sometimes. Don't disgrace Ginger Minge. That's well, Ginger, Min- Ginger Minge doesn't look like a kappa, but it's kind of like a thing where 
it's reminding me of a toad-like head. What do you think, think about the anus ball, though, in this image? It just looks like um, a peach or something. There, right there. Modern day connection. Or like a round sphere. It kind of looks like a boob. It does look like a boob. Huh. But it came from that dead man's butt. Other images show fishermen <laughs> utilizing their rotund extremities as bait for the kappa, by which I mean hanging their asses over the edge of the water, Ew. extending their enticing backsides over the water's, water's edge as a means of capturing the beast, thus implying that, yeah, kappa wanted to munch that condensed orb of goodness. Totally wasn't grossed out by it like this last image showed. Okay. There wasn't anything there to be adverse to in their eyes. They were into it. Now check out this image, Maddie. Look at this boy. He's smoking a pipe while he sticks his butt over that water. Look at that kappa. He's got a thong on, so... Yeah, but still the butt is readily available. Yeah, I guess so. He's built a whole rig. Look at that. That kappa looks hairy. Yeah. That one just looks like a weird... That looks like Big Bird had a baby and then dumped it in a swamp. Big Bird turtle baby? Yeah. Yeah. That looks nothing like a glamour toad. Now we come to an exceptional Easter egg that I discovered while researching the kappa and its uh, affinity for our condensed ass soul orb, which is uh, can be found in the video game Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Shadows Die Twice? How many times? Twice. Too many times. Now, Maddie, I want to now show you this video and get your, get your reaction to it, if you don't mind. Okay, wait. So the I video mean, is called... Yeah, that looks like a kappa. That looks like the orb that he pulled out of you. Now, uh, this creature's going to continue to do this. So what would you see here, Maddie? Uh, it looks like he pulled an orb out of your butt. Yeah, and then places it inside its own. Uh, does something with it, like it put it in its loincloth for safekeeping. Yeah, that from every angle, it definitely looks like he's doing that. Mm-hmm. And then it just disappears. So is that a giant kappa? It's like way uglier. Oddly enough, that's a creature in the game, having played it, known as a headless, which is a kind of yokai, or sorry, not a yokai, an oni. But um, it definitely the the depiction of it is its head is severed at the neck, but along the cut is a bunch of hair. We should so, probably put the video in the description in case people want to like look. Oh, at it. we will. But so yeah, it, it's it's a couple. They're checking a couple boxes at once there with that one, but it's fun. Especially now knowing what illusions they're making with that one specific attack move. Anyway, is this all an allusion to the male prostate and cultural aversion to exploring it, and thus allocating tales of its exploration to monstrous attacks? Maddie, that question is posed at you. Hmm. Well, if they're saying that it's really alluring, then... They, the cop love it. Well... I mean, I've heard that orgasms from the prostate are really nice, but I don't have a prostate myself, so I can't, like, allude to it. But I've read many a novel where it's, like, alluded to in great detail. Mm-hmm. And see, that was the first thing my mind went to when reading about this folk story of the kappa. Just... It's trying to get, maybe it's trying to get the prostate instead of the anus ball. That's what I was thinking. Gosh, I can't remember what the gay version of of manga what's the genre called the lesbian version is called the yuri yuri like ghost no yuri you are y-u-r-i yeah hey once again we're spelling out loud in an episode that's fun i can't do it um so yeah yuri and then 
gosh, there's a whole genre of like uh, male male romance. But Do maybe think... there's one with kappa, is what I'm saying. Like maybe there's like a a thing where there's like a, a sexy kappa. It could very well be that because kappa show up everywhere in like anime, in art, in poetry, in just paintings in general. Like I'm kind of being redundant there, but yeah, they're very omnipresent in Japan. So I'm certain that if not like sexy kappa, yeah, I mean kappa are just like diametrically opposed the idea. I mean the descriptions of kappa. But there's a slender man. Yeah, but I kind of get slender man. Why? It's a long, lanky fellow in a business suit. I don't get it. I get it. I don't get uh, a fish-beaked man with a bald head and an affinity. Oh, I get the affinity from my butt soul. That's fine. But anyway, so Maybe if it's not... it's like somebody has a husband that looked kind of like that, that wore his hair like that. That is something, actually, I thought about on the drive home yesterday, is that there's something about the kappa that looks very much like a specific person. There's something with its hairline, and listeners, I do implore you to like, just look up a kappa, because there's something about it that like it could just be you know exaggerated features, but I feel like it's very much based on some person you in a town. You know, some person has a beak lip. It was some person in a town. You know, the duck face that this all starts. Some person that it's lived a dude by with the a duck water face all the time. Permanent li- duck face. Lived by the water. Drowned people. Good time? Or You're really saying ask too much. You're swearing too much. This is an explicit podcast. Always has been. I've been labeling it as explicit, but it's because you're saying ass so much. It's because of ass and not fuck? Yeah. Fuck is... Fuck's fine. Ass, no. Fuck is a, senses, a sentence enhancer. Ass is not? No. Listeners, weigh in on that. It's not a pretty word. Mm. Fuck is a pretty word. It's satisfying to say. Uh, this is supposed to be two sentences, and I think it's gone eight <laughs> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, is you this... asked me a question. I did, and it was, and I, we had a good conversation. But yeah, I I now know that I don't need to be so concerned with filling out what feels like an hour and a half script. I can write four sentences and we'll probably extrapolate. It's good to know. It's the first up, first podcast I've ever written. Is this an allusion to discovering bodies of drowning victims, waterlogged and bloated, oftentimes with protracted anuses? Trigger warning. Now, at the end of the episode. As one writer theorizes, the most commonly accepted origin is that drowning victims often have an open or extended anus, looking as though something was taken out of yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, Maddie. Bodies that had drowned in the river or ocean, then washed up on shore, might have looked as if something had been forcibly extracted from the anus as you do when you drown. So, yeah. That's gross. Seems. That's a gross thing. Yeah, it's gross. Ah, 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 ah. Yes, that was a fun romp. Oh, damn it. She's yawning again. I had a whole bit set up for this. Yeah, that was my first, uh time trying out a podcast let alone uh interjecting on maddie's beautiful creation here what do you mean interjecting well interjecting with a tuckered out episode trying to get you tuckered out succeeding in that that's about the 70th yawn i think i've seen today very yawny yeah so i mean i guess that lends itself to the kind of like around the campfire storytelling vibe we're going for over the i don't know Uh, it was fun for me i enjoyed myself i felt (laughs) 
He's so sweet and nervous. Now I'm confident. You're so sweet and confident. There we go. Did you have fun? But yeah, how do you feel, Maddie? Other than obviously very, very tired. I feel like you you did a really good job. Okay. Do yeah. you want to do this again sometime? Or I, I can go back to just being the the ignorant, naive, the fool in the corner, as I have been uh, Yeah, so playing. you did so well, I'm scrapping it, and we're never going to do it again. Uh, that makes sense. Just kidding. <laughs> that was really anyway, funny. thank you so much for listening today. Um, this has been a fun time for us. Okay, so if you want to send in something that we should research... Or if you liked this episode or you hated this episode, give us some feedback. I'm sure Tucker, in his soft little boy heart, wants to hear all of your feedback and critique. Fuck you! <laughs> um, please send all ghost stories, anything awesome, all myths and things to... Sasquatch smut. Send that to addstoryteller at gmail.com. If you want to advertise on our show, send us an email. If you want to support our podcast, you can go to our Anchor site and do that. Thank you, everyone, so much for coming to listen to us today. We really appreciate you, like, you know, spending your time listening to two people that are in love that just kind of want to talk about goofy shit, spooky shit, and weird shit. And, you know, and not shit. Not shit. History. Stuff. Folklore. Things. Ah, oh, things. I was going to say things. Stuff. <laughs> Damn it, you already said stuff. Fuck. <laughs> well, take care. This has been Tucker. Maddie. I'm Maddie. That's my name. It's Maddie. It's Maddie. It's Maddie. I'm Bye, Maddie. everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>